Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Amen. Well, you may be seated. My name is Brian Wiggins, and I'm one of the pastors here. That was Pastor Matt, and uh, it's great to be able to be here with you this morning and spend some time in the Word together. If you're newer here, I just want to make sure you know about our iConnect coffee that's following this service that'll be in one of the classrooms in the North Hallway, so follow the signs on out to that. But if you're new, you may be looking around and saying, what is this all about? What is this church all about? What do they do? Why do they sing like this? Why do they, they talk this way? What are these words about? And I just want to, first of all, give you a little context. You're in a room full of people who love Jesus because he's rescued us from a life of sin and brought us forgiveness and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and uh, paid a perfect death for our imperfect lives. And though we're not perfect people now, he has given us, granted us forgiveness uh, by his son and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that's what we believe. And so you're in a room full of people who've been saved by grace, saved out of addictions and, and ourselves. I mean, just the filth of ourselves and the things that we need hope uh, and, and help from and uh, things that we couldn't save ourselves from. And Jesus has brought us victory in life. And I still remember for me that day when I was a young kid and Jesus uh, made it clear to me what his, the gospel meant. And I, I still can remember, I don't even know the teacher's name in that classroom, but I can picture being in there about five years old and trusting Jesus for the first time. And I've had to come back to that cross numerous times in my life and say, God, I put myself before you again. And I just want, I want to live for you. I want you to deliver me from, from these sins. But at, that was the moment when forgiveness entered my life was that place when I trusted him as a young child. Scripture tells us that at that moment, the Holy Spirit enters a person's heart, enters our lives. The, the indwelling of Christ at that moment when the Holy Spirit takes up occupancy in us. And over the last number of uh, weeks, over the, about the last month, we've talked about that. We've defined that. We've looked at what that means when the Spirit would have full control of us. When God, when we surrender our whole being over to God and ask him to, to have us and uh, offered ourselves up to him. And it's been fun to hear some stories, even a story this morning that wasn't connected to this sermon series, but of somebody who, who gave themselves back over to Christ. They had been wandering. They'd been far from the Lord and God had been working through our church body here. Somebody who they mentioned was praying for them and they, they, they came and, and there was a connection, a spiritual uh, awakening for this guy again, coming back, repentance of the sin that he'd been walking in and uh, seeing him now uh, back in fellowship with us here, the way that the body worked in that. But the Spirit of God lives in us. And we're going to turn a corner from the side of talking kind of more specifically about us individually to today talking about us as a church and how we function as a church. The New Testament is full of some amazing stories about how the, the church functioned in the, in the book of Acts. If we look there, we'll find all kinds of amazing things. If we see what that church looked like, we'll see a couple of priorities that emerged. First of all, one of those priorities is that people were loved because God loves people. People were loved, and the church loved the community that they were planted in, that they were around. You see that come out. They loved each other in the church, and even though as they functioned as Christians, even though it brought persecution and all kinds of stuff upon them that was not so pleasant, the church still was thriving. 
People were healed. They were delivered from sin. And we see that come out in the book of Acts. If you look at some of the things that they did, two spots I just want us to look at. If you have a Bible, you can turn to these. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. One of the spots where it describes what they were all about. It's amazing the role of the Holy Spirit in this. Because without the Holy Spirit, this church would not have been alive and on fire like it is here. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. First of all, the fact that this random ragtag group of believers could come together, that's a miracle in the way that they function together. The fact that the church comes together from all kinds of different backgrounds is actually a miracle. And only the Holy Spirit can bring us around Jesus Christ in that way and bring us fellowship. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions. This is, this is just radically different from the world, right? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, another miracle, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And another miracle, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The world looked on at this church that had been radically transformed by the power of the gospel and empowered by the the power of the Spirit. And they looked at that and they said, there's a God in heaven. And in that, people were being saved. And it was... It's a mark of a Holy Spirit-empowered church that people are being saved on a regular basis. Verse 12 of chapter 5, if you skip up to chapter 5, verse 12, another spot, it describes that early church. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in, in Solomon's portico, this public place where they met. By meeting in a public place, they were putting themselves in a spot where people would see that they were followers of Jesus and it brought all kinds of persecution on them, hatred from the outside for being followers of Jesus. But that didn't shut them down. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. There were some that didn't want to be there, but the people held them in high esteem. They didn't shun them for that. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even uh, carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. We see what was going on in this church. Some of this was quite miraculous. People that that were being delivered from sin, people being healed, all kinds of amazing things happening. And I want to see God do that in his church. God is glorified when those things happen and people say that there's a God in heaven. God is magnified in those points. And as we look at this and you think about that, that very same spirit who dwelt in Jesus, who indwelled Paul and Peter and Luke and John and all these early apostles of the church, that very same spirit of God lives in the heart and the life of every believer in Jesus Christ. The exact same power, the exact same abilities lives within us. For God to be magnified and glorified as his power comes out through through the people of his church. As we're engaged in that, as we're surrendered to our purposes and our points, uh, what we want to do in life, what we want to see happen being God's purposes, not ours anymore, not our agenda anymore, but instead let it be God's. 
God can work powerfully in that. And so we want his kingdom to come here at River of Life and in our individual lives. Could you pray with me as we get into God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, we've sung about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We've proclaimed with our mouths and hopefully with our beings, our inner beings, your glory and our desire, our seeking after you, Jesus. We've sung about what this gospel means, about the salvation that comes, the freedom that comes, the forgiveness that comes, the grace that opens up to us. And Jesus, it's by your spirit that that is delivered to us and the work of that is continued to be carried out in us. We've dug into that over the last couple of weeks and spirit, uh, we thank you for the work that you've done. God, we praise you for the change and the, the movement forward that many have experienced in their walk with you. God, we want to be people who walk in the spirit on a regular basis. But help us in our weakness. Help us to understand scripture. Help us to understand today as a body how this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at will help us as a church to function in the right ways and for your purposes. Help us to love each other. Even the hardest people for us to love. God, help us to see and experience the power of that through your Spirit working in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday I coached my very first fourth grade football game. The coach was gone and we lost. But coaching is fun. I grew up playing soccer, so I wasn't a football player. And one of the kids on the team said I needed to play Madden a little bit more to learn the game. But it was fun. It's, I love coaching because there's a side of it where it's a lot like pastoring. It's a lot about putting the right people in the right spots and helping a group work together. And as I watched this team uh, function, I got to go to practice earlier in the week. I've been uh, building a relationship with the coach, and it's been fun to get to know him and just kind of have some, some input on the team and be able to be a part of that. But one of the things in that team is we watched, or I watched last week as we taught them some new things on Tuesday. Uh, I got to help them on defense and work on the way that they ran their defense. But there's some different characters on a team like that. Fourth graders are kind of hard to coach. And you have the kid who thinks in his mind he is all that and more, and he's not. And in his mind, he can do certain things he thinks he can do. And he goes out, and he's not doing any of what he says he can do. You have the other kids who are trying to find their spot, and they need to experiment in some different places, and they try quarterback, and there's some pressure there, and they would have to grow into that position. Some are just natural in certain positions, but not in others. Some are kids who are, they're fourth grade, and they're not even there. I mean, they're, they're at practice, but they're like swinging the ball around, and they don't hear a thing you say. They're not even available to be on the team at that point, right? They're just kind of there. They're a part of it. Isn't that kind of like us in the church? We're kind of these different characters, and we're all in playing different roles and in different places, but God has specific roles and specific functions, and when the team works together, it's an awesome thing to watch. When a team is is functioning together, it's really an amazing thing. In the church, God has brought to the body specific spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. We're going to dig into those today. And when those gifts are all being played together in the right way for each individual person, the body functions in a way that Jesus has noticed and he has seen. 
among us because we're built up in, in, being, in pointing to Jesus. And in the world, when they see the church functioning in a way where they love one another, where they're building each other up. But that's not necessarily always the case in churches. A.W. Tozer, over 50 years ago, wrote a scathing remark about where he saw the church. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would even know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, though, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. That quote has haunted me as I've pondered it over the years. Me. I am the church. I'm part of the church. Just like you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the church is not just simply this thing we come to, this thing we do. The church is the body of Christ, individuals brought together. So when I think of myself in that quote, if the Holy Spirit was removed from my life, would much change? If that's true of the church, then it would be, have to be true of ourselves. And we have to ask questions sometimes, questions that cause us to evaluate and to think. But do we exist for our own purposes or do we exist as a church for the purposes of God? Do we see God working in the powerful ways that he would expect to be working? Are there God-sized faith risks or are we running a business? Not just the organization of the church, but remember this is about us. What are we bringing to this? I think if I were the devil, one of the biggest things that I could do to slow down the church would be to lower everybody's expectations of God. To bring them down and make the church believe that God is not powerful, that it's just kind of the set of beliefs that we hold to remove all of the the vibrancy and the life from it. And in doing so, what we would begin to think is that we are in control. And whenever we take control of things, we're notoriously bad at just messing them up. And that's what the temptation is to the church. But I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like the church in Sardis that the, the apostle John, the disciple John writes about in the book of Revelation where it's said about this church, you have a reputation of being alive. Might even be in your church name. But you're dead. This church may have a good reputation that he's talking about here. But this church was that he's talking about in Revelation, they were spiritually lifeless. In other words, it was filled with people, but they were just kind of going through the motions of religious. They were just doing church. And that's not a biblical concept of church. They were going through the motions. But we have to evaluate. I'm not saying River of Life is that kind of a church, but we have to see that. That is a danger. And that's something that can happen in a church. And I want to see God work. And I want the markers of a spirit-filled church to be markers in my life, in our church. And do you want that with me? Do you want to see God work in powerful ways? Do you want to see his, the name of Jesus magnified because he's doing his work? And as he does that, as he brings the life, it's an amazing thing. What are some of those markers that we would see? Well, we've walked through a number of them over the past couple weeks. It begins with individuals where each person is surrendered to the Holy Spirit, where we've let go of all the rooms within our being that Christ could have and fill all of those. 
It's that place of living where I understand I'm dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. It's that place like Romans 6, 13 and 6, uh, 16 and 12, 1, where it talks about present yourselves to the Lord. Present yourselves to Christ as living sacrifice. You give yourself over to him. And in that, I need the spirit to occupy all of me. Last week, I talked about an illustration that D.L. Moody used to use where he'd hold up a glass, a drinking glass, and he would hold it out and he would say, if I wanted to get all the water out, or sorry, all the air out, now I gave it away. What would I do? And people would yell out answers and somebody would inevitably say, well, get a vacuum and if you use enough vacuum, you could get the air out. But in doing so, that would crush the glass and then it's, it's destroyed. But he would say the way to get the air out is to put something else in. Displacement, right? So pour water in, we pour good in, we pour the Spirit of God, the renewing of our mind through the, the Word into our lives as that replaces things in us. We talked last week about how we need to be surrendered to the purposes of God in that we are walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5. Part of that is daily surrendering myself to the purposes of God. God, I want your way, not mine. Today, will you bring your way into my life? And I want to live that way. So some markers of the Spirit-empowered church is each person, because we are the church, each person surrendered to the Holy Spirit's work, each person surrendered to the purposes of God. And we would add today each person using their spiritual gifts the way God intended us to be on the team. And so there's hope. And the hope is this, that, the, the God, him, that God himself lives inside of believers to bring us to something greater than ourselves. That God would live inside of us. And when we think of the Bible or, and, and understand what it says about church, church is not something we go to or do. This is not really fully church. It's a part of church. But church is this. The Bible paints a picture of, a ch- of church that is composed of every person who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing His work, to do what he's called us to do, which is namely building disciples and helping each other grow as disciples of Jesus Christ from the very start where it began with outreach all the way through to maturity in Christ. People who live under the authority and for the glory of God. The church is us. And it's what we bring to it. Are we living this surrendered life before God? Are we bringing ourselves to be a part of the team? And if we're going to do that, it's amazing what God could do in River of Life. Could you imagine? A church where everybody is in the right places. Everybody's serving. It's not a few people carrying the weight. Everybody's serving, but in the right spots where God has equipped them to serve by His Spirit's power. Where that's being seen, where it's building up the body. And if that happened, it would be a glorious thing as we serve each other. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. If you'd open up your Bibles to that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in this we're going to find some things that are helpful for us. We're going to primarily look at this chapter, although 12, 13, and 14 of this book are important in understanding spiritual gifts and how they come together in the body of Christ. We're going to begin to skim the surface. I'm going to give you opportunity later for something coming up in a couple of weeks where we can understand this at a deeper level. But let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And before we start reading, what is happening? Why did this get written? This was written 
by Paul through the inspiration of, this, of God, through the inspiration of the Spirit to us for a couple of specific things. Here's a church that is meeting together, but there's some problems within this church. You see, this would be what you might call the church that's completely divided and messed up by internal politics. There's just internal politics going on. One person wants to be in charge. They're putting themselves up over other people. And this church primarily was split over economic lines. And it was just divided. People were self-centered. They were maybe trying to use their gifts in the body. But many were discouraged because some gifts they said were more important than other gifts. And so people were put down in that. Some likely didn't even serve because there was no place for them because personal agendas and plans had gotten in the way of God's agenda and plans. And so this was written specifically probably to answer a question that they had about this. Chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, he says, Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or some translations ignorant about. He wants us to understand spiritual gifts. It's important for the body of Christ to understand spiritual gifts, to not be ignorant about them, to know and have a correct understanding. It was huge for them. They had to get this. If the church was to function well and correctly, they had to understand that, and that's true for us. If we're to function well, we have to understand about spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? One way of understanding it through the compilation of lots of scriptures would be this. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit. They go beyond your natural talent. They're special abilities given by the Holy Spirit and distributed to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. It's a long sentence. Let me read it again. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit and distributed to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ's. These gifts are given to believers for a purpose, for a reason. And we don't want to miss it. It's going to come out in chapter 12, but I want to lay a foundation by looking at another verse where he's talking about spiritual gifts. So would you keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 12 and flip over to Ephesians 4? This is one time in this message. I'm going to try to encourage you to cross-reference and go over to a different spot. Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about a whole bunch of different gifts in, in a list right before what we're going to read. Apostles and prophets and people who were, who were in places of leadership in the church. And it said something that helps us have an understanding about the church. It said that these people using their gifts were to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's a radically different concept than we may have about church. It was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We might think, oh, Pastor Brian, it must be your job to do the ministry. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that my job is to equip the saints for works of ministry. That we as a church body, a biblical understanding of this is that we as a church body are to minister to one another for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we do that in love. And so our concept of the body has to change, that our concept of the church has to change in the understanding that God gave us gifts because the church ministers one to another. And that's the way it's supposed to function. And so going back over to 1 Corinthians 12, where hopefully your finger still is, and you don't have to relook that up. Let's scoot down to verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. 
Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the... Sorry, but there, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, as, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As we skip down to these verses here, we find something important for us to realize and understand that the gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit. If his role is to carry out the work of Jesus, part of that is to give us spiritual gifts. He gives them to his children. Anybody have a favorite holiday? Call out your favorite holiday. Easter. Okay, I'm with how many Christmas people? All right. And the real spiritual one said Easter, right? <laughs> All right. I love Christmas too. Christmas is fun because it's gift giving time, right? When I was a kid, I loved to receive gifts. I still like to receive gifts. Who doesn't? But I found joy in giving gifts too. When I give a gift, I like the process of figuring out what to give. Sometimes it's like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do this year. What does Rochelle want? What would, what would be good for her? But the gift-giving process, when you have the right gift and you give it to a person and watching their joys, they, they receive it and they use it, is a fun thing. Even receiving the gift is fun and seeing that happen. But the realization that gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit in order for us to, to use. God gives gifts chosen specifically for us. You see it in verse 7 and 11. That's how they came up with this store name. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He gives His gifts to us. They're not gifts that we earned or we chose for ourselves. He gave them to us. A gift is a gift specifically given to us. Romans twelve six reinforces this idea. We all have different spiritual gifts according to the grace given to us. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would not have spiritual gifts. They're given for power and purpose in ministry. And they go far beyond our natural bents or talents. They're supernatural empowerment. They might be connected to things that you naturally do, and sometimes we don't have to divide all that out. But they're a supernatural thing that goes far beyond that. I like the movie The Incredibles. And when I think of spiritual gifts, I always think of this movie and the story of a family, this ordinary suburban family called the Pars, the Par family. They were just kind of caught up in their normal routine of drudgery and conflict, as the beginning of the movie portrays. And then one day, Bob Parr gets a call from, from somebody high up who reminds him of his life that he had left 15 years before this, when he went on the superhero relocation project, okay? Don't space out on me just because I said that. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? It's a movie, okay? It's a cartoon. And in this, he's reminded of this, of this life he formerly lived where he fought, he saved lives and, and battled evil and, and, and on a daily basis. And so Bob not only finds that he has heroism in him, but his whole family has these special abilities. They're able to do certain things. So Bob finds out that he has that in him, but his wife, Helen, is actually Elastigirl. Remember this? His daughter, Violet, has this amazing force field power. His son, Dash, has lightning speed. And even his, his baby, Jack, has, has an ability. But 
they have these special abilities in their family, and when they're carried out, it was an amazing thing as they realized that they had this gift that they could do. If they pulled them together, they could accomplish amazing things. That's a movie. That's a cartoon. But it's also a picture of what the church is like. When we work together, there's something amazing that's accomplished when we realize that God has given that to us. That's why Paul said to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Do you know what your spiritual giftings are? Do you know what God has equipped you to do in the body of Christ? When you discover it, it's an amazing thing as you're able to step into that life when you're not only saved from sin, but you're saved to something amazing, contributing to God's purposes. And so, why do we have spiritual gifts? I mean, out of this list that he puts in 1 Corinthians, I could be excited, what if I had the gift of miracles? If I had the gift of miracles, what if I could take that on the road and, and have a little show with that? could be warped, right? Or what if I had maybe a little more pure motives and I used it in the body of Christ, but I used it to gain power and control in the body of Christ? Neither of those are actually the purpose, and we actually find that purpose in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They're not for me. They're to serve God's purposes and to serve God's church. Given to us for that reason. 1 Peter 4.10 reinforces this again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Gifts are given for common good and serving each other. Spiritual gifts are given to help us to love one another. To express love, one, love to one another. They unify the church. They bring us around a common purpose and goal, and they should, they should cause us to look to Christ in unity. As you look at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he begins to list some of the gifts. Now, these aren't the only gifts listed in Scripture. I'm going to show you in a few minutes a list of the other gifts that, that seem apparent through Scripture. This, what's shown in Scripture may be the entirety of them. They, there may be more that exist outside of just what's listed in Scripture. God can empower his church how he wants. But look at some of the things he lists, starting in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of, of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who portions to each one individually as he wills. There's a variety of gifts perfectly distributed by the Spirit that he gives to us. And I assume, like the writers of the New Testament that these spiritual gifts would function in healthy, Holy Spirit-empowered churches until Jesus returns. I believe that he distributes all of these types of gifts to people today. That's what we believe as a church. I have some friends who I respect greatly who would differ from me on that, who have argued that some of the more miraculous gifts have ended. But as I read Scripture, that's not what I see in the New Testament. One pastor has said about this, if you assign 10 new believers the task of studying the Bible to find God's heart for this generation, not one of them would conclude that spiritual gifts are not for today. So 
in the Alliance, we have a way of talking about this that helps us think about how these are displayed. These more miraculous things, especially the ones described in 1 Corinthians 12. And that phrase is this, expectation without agenda. Expectation without agenda. We would expect God to do amazing things without agenda, but they're perfectly distributed to us in what we need in our church. At River of Life, we have the spiritual gifts that are needed for God to accomplish His purpose here. Do you believe that? We, would, we need to shape our theology primarily on Scripture, not on references to our fears that we've had or abuses of these things that we might have seen in the past, nor just simply on experiences that we've had in the past. We base it on Scripture. There is no one gift that says, I am filled with the Spirit, like tongues. Rather, the filling of the Spirit is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit that we've talked about in the previous weeks. And so as we look at these things, we need to look at this list and understand what they are, not to be ignorant about them. Let me show you an example of a list compiled by, by some as they've looked at Scripture. And these are gifts that they've seen through Scripture. Some people use a little different wording here and there. Some people would say, oh, I don't know if that one's quite on the list. But I believe that this is a good list as I've looked at it. We see the ones in 1 Corinthians 12 that we've talked about in the, on the upper left hand. Next to that is one from a few verses later in verse 28, the gifts of apostleship and teaching and helps and administration. In Romans 12, we see the gifts of encouragement and giving and leadership and mercy. In Ephesians 4, we see evangelism and shepherding. Bottom left, Exodus 31, the gift of craftsmanship. The very first time that the Spirit was poured out on an individual, we see the gift of craftsmanship emerge. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, intercession. Psalms, Psalm 150, creative communication, and then 1 Peter 4, hospitality. A list trying to compile what are some of the gifts that God gives to the church. As you look at those, aren't you thankful that we're not all the same, that God distributes gifts as he sees fit? We may have one gift, we may have a couple of gifts, but God has given gifts like this to each one of us. As I look at this list, I think of people with the gift of, of mercy, and I'm thankful for those people. That enablement to cheerfully and practically help people who are suffering. And they're usually the people, when you're sharing your story, they're like, they're tearing up because they're, oh man, I connected with that part. And they, they hurt for you where, where your story is hurting. They're oftentimes the ones who will quickly move to action to try to bring compassion into that situation. I'm thankful for people with the gift of craftsmanship who can put together stages like this and maintain a building and use that for the church body. There was a guy, Bob, in our old church who definitely had the gift of craftsmanship. This guy, he always wanted to be a part of things. You wanted him to go on a mission trip because you know if you're going to go on a mission trip, you're going to have like a lawnmower that doesn't work. Bob could go along and Bob could fix that lawnmower like that. It, may, like, it might have even been a seized engine. He could somehow miraculously make that thing work. But he could do stuff like that. Bob offered that to Christ, to Christ's church, by using that. And so I'm thankful for people like that. I'm thankful for people with the gift of helps who enable people to accomplish. They support people and oftentimes serve behind the, the scenes. But every time that we need a volunteer, even just to fill a gap, we need youth ministry people. We need somebody to plug, you know, or fix the toilet. They're like, I'll be there. I'll help because God has given them that special ability, that nat- that thing that goes beyond their natural tendencies to help and to serve. 
The temptation, though, is to serve everywhere if you're a helps person. You've got to be careful. You may get in spots that are not your role. Like if you're not a teacher and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll teach, you shouldn't stay in that role a long time. Help for a while, okay? None of these gifts, because of the context of where this was written, are better than others. None of them are more superior if you could have that particular gift. Leaders, do you hear me saying that? None of these things are are higher and none are lower. All are needed. And we can't expect others to be what we are. You can't paint on somebody else to be that way. So if you're an intercessor, you might get grow frustrated at the church. Why don't you pray more people? Well, encourage the body to pray. You stay engaged in intercession and encourage the body to pray. They're not you. They're not gifted in the exact same way as you. And so these gifts perfectly make up the body. And you see this description that Paul begins to use in verse 14 as he paints this picture of, that we can understand of the church being like a body. And he says, we all make up this body. We compose it. You see it in verse 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This body comes together. We come together. No one part of the body is less important than the others. We depend on each other. I had a friend who lost his big toe once by a boat propeller. He struggled to stand after that. We need people who, who can stand, help us stand. You're a member of the, of the body of Christ. We need you. We depend on each other and we appreciate each other in that. As you look at that list, you may wonder, where do I fit? Who am I at River of Life? I want to invite you to something that is going to come up soon that I'm really excited about. On November 2nd and 3rd, that's a Friday evening and Saturday morning, we're going to teach a gifts class. And I would love to fill up this room with people going through this. But Matt and I are going to teach this class. And uh, can you throw up that slide that has the dates on it? And if you want to put that in your calendar now, we're going to start about 7 o'clock on Friday evening. We should be done on Saturday by about 1230. And we will break for sleep overnight. Just so you know. And uh, so we're going to teach that to help us identify which gifts do we have? How are they exercised in the body of Christ? How has God wired me and passions that he's put in me along with these gifts? So where does that get displayed? And uh, so I'd encourage you to be a part of that. We're going to give you more information in the weeks to come, but that's coming up shortly. One last thing that the text here helps us see that's important. As we spill into chapter 13, he makes something very clear to us. He wants us to see another way we shouldn't be misinformed. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, if I have all kinds of gifts, if I'm serving like crazy in the body of Christ, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Oh my goodness, my daughter plays the drums. Have you ever heard the noise like that? Just noise. I become just noise, just action, just stuff going on. I believe that the heart of what Paul is getting at in here is the understanding that who we are is more important than what we do. Or to say it the other way, what we do should flow out of who we are. That what we do flows out of the, the fruit of the Spirit in my life. It doesn't matter if you can do all kinds of amazing things in the body of Christ if we do not have love for each other. River of life will never reflect in the way that the New Testament church did, reflect Christ. We could, we could start doing all kinds of outreaches. 
But if we don't love one another and serve each other in a humble and gentle way with our spiritual gifts, we'll never see multiplication like happened in the book of Acts. We have to start with the examination of do we love each other? Do we encourage faith in one another? And does that spill out as as like a lighthouse to our community? Jesus said, by this, by love, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is glorified. And people walk away saying, there really is a God among you. When the church does the miraculous thing of loving one another. A church grows from the inside out. And it begins with saying, Spirit, where we've been over these last weeks, I want you to have all of me. And I also want to give myself over to your purposes. Like a team. Which player are you? Are you on the outside not knowing where you fit? Are you just kind of off the team? You're here, but you're off the team. Are you serving? Are you giving your gift to the body? Are you somebody who's fully functioning in it? Fan the flame of that. Be encouraged. God's doing a work through you. But God wants to use our church body as we would embrace the places that he's equipped us in order for that to be a display to this valley. We have to start there. Do we love one another? Are we expressing love through the using of our gifts for one another? A class might be the very first thing you need to do thinking through the list like that and examining it and, and trying to figure out, okay, God, these are, they're just tests, but th- looking at those things, where have you equipped me? How should I be functioning in the body? And am I giving that to people? Father, we pray for River of Life that you would do a mighty work among us, that the expression of the gifts to one another would be something that exalts you, that that puts Jesus on display to ourselves, to our community, that you be glorified and honored. Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to bring us into a life that is not just mundane, but is awesome. To be on the edge of faith, to be on the edge of where you want to do work, seeing people come to life in Christ. God, just fan that here. Give us a craving to serve each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you of our iConnect coffee. If you are a newcomer to River of Life, join us for that in just about five minutes in uh, the classroom on the north hallway. Just follow the signs. It'll take you there. Also, men, are you paying attention to me, men? Uh, Before you leave today, many of you have signed up, but you've not officially registered for men's retreat. Would you head out to the lobby? We have a computer there for you to get signed up and finish that process. Uh, And uh, if you haven't even put your name on the list, we'd love to know. We need to finalize that list soon so we have an idea of how many guys are going. Would you stand with me for our benediction? Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks for being here today. Go from here in peace.